What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Music Podcast Deluxe. Featuring Don't Believe the Hype. And we're about to blow your f***ing minds. Whoa, whoa, Muck. Let's lay it back a bit. Thanks, Dre. What would I do without you? Representing Montreal, Canada, we're coming to you straight from the DBTH sound room. Damn, that sounds tight. But you know we're sitting on the couch, right? So join us. Every episode where we're going to be talking about concerts, records, experiences, and everything in between. Stay a while, and let's make some time for music. This is episode one of the Music Podcast Deluxe, and we are coming to you from the DBTH Sound Room. Representing Montreal, Canada, we're going to give you guys an idea of who we are. We're going to do that by giving you a top five list of our favorite albums from when we were teenagers. Actually, we're going to share it with them, kind of from our uh, our special place. Yeah, give you guys like some insight into why they were important to us, what we liked about them. Uh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be nostalgic. It's always good to reminisce. And we hope that through us having this conversation, you can make your own top five. And go and send it to us. Like, we want to have a nice response from, from the listeners so that we can get a... A good idea of who yeah. you are. Yeah, that's right. If anything interesting comes up, or maybe we can make a... Maybe we can make a top teen years list out of everybody's participation. I think that's a good idea. We, right? can, uh, we can throw that up on Spotify Yeah, afterwards. that's a cool idea. We make a playlist. That would be really cool. Let's do it. Yeah, done. So you can find us on Facebook at the DBTH guys, or shoot us an email at... The DBTH guys at gmail.com. Now, before we get into the top five, I just wanted to mention something. Rockfest made a couple announcements last week. That's right, they did. Right? Yeah. And the first announcement was that the offspring was going to be headlining. And not only were they going to be headlining, but they were going to be playing their Ixnay on the Ombre album in its entirety, which is really cool because you almost never get to hear some of those tracks. You know, I've never heard them live. I'd love to go see them if we can get the chance. Yeah. You know who else is there? Oh, that's right. That's the other announcement. Ramstein. I've had the urge to see them every time they've been in Montreal over the last couple of years. And, you know, they show up here and there. And uh, I think the last time they showed up in uh, at the Bell Center. And I just missed out on tickets. And then I kind of waited. Yeah, there's some, sometimes a band just eludes you, eh? But Ramstein's on your top five list. Absolutely. Their first album is. Yeah, so we'll get into that later. We do want to give them our top five. Trey, why don't you start? Top five albums from my teenage years. So we're talking end of high school, late 90s, early 2000s, okay? Our rule was that though the album had to come out in one of those years to make the list, right? Yeah, it couldn't have been a little bit later. No. Um, that'll be for another time because yeah. uh, I think we discussed a lot of music together that uh, we were introduced to that can't really qualify for this list because it's it's such a different life period. Absolutely. And also, we're definitely going to touch on the part before the influence our parents' music gave us. We're not talking about that either. So we're just talking about those late 90s, early 2000 years. That earlier music is a whole other discussion. My yeah, friend. it'll be a whole other podcast. Whoa. Yeah, yeah. That's a whole, whole I don't even. Thing. I don't even know where to start. We're gonna, I'm going to have to do a lot of research on some of this stuff and dig up some tapes, I think. So, top five teen albums. Where to begin? I'm going to bust out my list here. Hold on. I'm going to get this sorted. No, we're organized here. The Music Podcast Deluxe 
is an organized machine. See, the problem is you took it on that phone. Yeah. I got them in front of me. Yeah, you got the scraggly, scraggly notes. I took it on my phone so that I can share it with you productively. Mm-hmm. Okay? What are you going to do? Fax that to me? I may. I don't own a fax machine. I can do a fax that ends up in an email in your inbox. First album I'm going to mention, Goldfinger, Stomping Ground, released in 2000. Goldfinger is driven by their live show. You can listen to the album. I think I've seen them three or four times. When you see them live, you get a whole new experience. I give you a couple anecdotes, okay? Mm-hmm. Goldfinger was touring Warp Tour, okay? To give you an idea how awesome these guys are. John Feldman, lead singer, definitely frontman of the band. He is constantly moving, jumping, dancing around on stage. He has the sickest stage dive I've ever seen. I'm at Warp Tour, big outdoor show. I'm in the front of the audience, but I'm still about 10 people away from the rail. And then there's a big gap between the rail and the stage. Doesn't this guy with his guitar get a running start, jump off his monitor, jumps clear over my head, and lands very close behind me? Are we talking about like a 10-foot gap here? Yeah, there's like a lot of space. Honestly, in my head, thinking back to it, it seemed like (laughs) ridiculous to even think that he could do it. Like it was, as he's running, I'm like, oh my God. He's going to fall in the gap. And not only does he clear the gap, but he clears clears me. So I held him and we pushed him back to stage. And one of their shticks was that every single show, they would, the drummer was this big goofy guy. He was awesome. Like super funny guy. He, He would come up in front of the stage, pull down his pants and you would see he's wearing a thong and he would ask somebody from the audience up onto stage. He would unwrap a Twinkie Stick the Twinkie between his butt cheeks and have the, the audience member bite the Twinkie out of his ass. And then everybody would cheer and then he would take the rest of the Twinkie that's remained uneaten and eat it himself. That's quite classy. Yeah, I don't know why you would run up on stage and bite a Twinkie out of a sweaty man's ass. But it's halfway through the set. This guy's been playing drums for 45 minutes at this point. He's sweaty. It's a big sweaty man. Album number two. This one's just so heavy. <laughs> Refused, Shape of Punk to Come. It was released in 1998. What's so special about this album is that right after they released it, the band broke up. They only had an opportunity to tour a couple venues in Europe and then broke up. It's unique because after the band broke up, the album really gained in popularity, became iconic. So many bands that followed reference the refused as one of their main inspirations and uh, that in the, in the screamo scene in the metal scene in the punk scene this is uh this is the album you made me listen to right i i had not heard it before i heard it at your place yeah i just picked it up on vinyl and we spun it at uh, yeah a few weeks ago dude that was a sick album and i've never heard it all the way through and uh i really 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 enjoyed it's that. really cool eh? yeah i know now in the last couple of years the band reunited, and they're playing sold-out venues. Isn't that like... It's completely counterintuitive. Like, they just disappeared for 15 years. And and, and all of a sudden, everybody loves the album, and, and they're selling out Metropolis. Number three. 
Glass Jaw, Worship and Tribute. Mm-hmm. Another heavy album. Another album with a whole bunch of screaming. Although the singer himself has such a cool, unique voice. For me, he's my favorite part of the band. I've even followed him through his other bands that he's been working with. What I found so cool is when I the second time I saw them, they played a really small venue. And on stage, rather than all of them face the crowd, they faced each other. It, it felt like a jam session. Like you're watching something cool, like personal. Sick. That's really, really cool. Yeah. I listened to that album so much. I remember specifically when I first started driving even, it was one of those albums that I would just play all the time in the car. Yeah, I got one of those coming up after this. Don't oh, you yeah. Worry. No, but those driving songs, are, mm-hmm. they're very special. Mm-hmm. You know, like those, I remember like just cruising, windows down, wind blowing, summer, listening to Tip Your Bartender, cranked. It was so much fun. Number four. This one is super, super important. Rage Against the Machine, Battle of Los Angeles. Oh, yeah. You're a huge Rage Against the Machine fan, so I know you can understand me straight up. Mm-hmm. 1999, this album was released. And for me, the really, really important part of this album, aside from the incredible musicianship, aside from Tom Morello playing his guitar like a scratch, like a, like a DJ scratching records, aside from all that... There's nothing wrong with what he does. It's fucking incredible. No, but that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm saying, aside from all that incredibleness, Zach... One of my favorite MCs opened my eyes to the world of hip-hop. Nice. You always liked hip-hop, right? Yeah, yeah. You have a couple of hip-hop albums mm-hmm. on your top five list. Yeah, I'll we'll be get... talking about those in a bit. Yeah. But as me, when I was a teenager, I hung out with people that thought rap was garbage music, and I I followed suit. You know you're an impressionable teenager. You don't even give certain things a chance when you really should. Rage Against the Machine came around, and they blended hip-hop with rock and made it much more familiar to me. And after that, then I was able to explore all kinds of hip-hop. So for that reason, they really have a special place in my heart. And we were talking about it, and we really said, like, if these guys come back anywhere close on tour to something that's reasonable for us to get to, there's no way we can miss this. Done deal. That's like a bucket list band. Last but not least, number five, Jimmy Eat World, Bleed American. That came out 2001. It was just such a successful alternative rock album. It really put the early 2000s alternative on the map. There was like four huge singles on there. We're talking Billboard Top 20s. The middle was on the charts for many, many months. They went platinum. Any suburban kid listened to to, to Bleed American. It was just that way. I mean, if you didn't listen to the album, you definitely had a friend that was listening to the album. It it could have very well made it to my top five, but uh, wait till you hear what I got to say, because I think you're going to be a a little bit surprised. Are you even, are you ready? Uh, what have you been doing this whole time? Are you getting your top five ready? I know you, you came you came to this all half-assed. You didn't have anything written down. What to do now? Well, you gave me enough time to scribble some notes. Oh, so you've been you've been working on it now? Yeah, my head. Okay, all right. I've been going through things. But were you done? I didn't want to interrupt you if you're done. Well, I'm pretty much done. Yeah? Yeah, so that was my top five. It was really, really difficult to narrow it down to just five. I had about 20 when I started. 
But the five I chose, I feel, really represent the rest. Uh, yeah, your pop punk style, ska with Goldfinger, and then the heavier stuff, Refuse, Glassjaw, the more alt-rock, Jimmy Eat World, and that intro to hip-hop with Rage Against the Machines, Battle of Los Angeles. It just... Those are the right five to put in the top five list. So, now, Muck is up. He's been scribbling some notes. He's been working on something very hard. I see sweat. I'm not sweating. No. <laughs> that's I'm not sweat. That's not sweat at all. No, that's not sweat. At all. All right. So, it's my turn. It's my turn. And I uh, I sat here pondering while uh, while you were kind of doing your, your top five how I was going to open. And I think I've got a pretty honest look at who I am and why I like what I like today. I feel like when I was doing the transition into high school, I didn't really have music outside of what my father listened to. So jumping into high school, I was immediately influenced by, you know, the music of my peers, like I'm sure you were. Let's call it the jungle. The jungle. The music jungle. Yeah. You're influenced by the jungle. And um, I would say that over several years, maybe I, uh, I didn't know exactly what I liked until 2016 that I realized I actually like everything so it doesn't matter so number one on my list cannot wait till they uh, they come over here Ramstein Sensut from uh, 1997 back in the day and uh, despite me maybe understanding only very little bit of what they were saying that album really 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 touched me um on a personal level. I don't know why. It just it really got down emotionally to me. But uh, I realized through listening to it that, uh, you know, yeah, okay, I picked it up because Duhast, Duhast, everyone was saying it. But giving that album a full listen through, probably until it wore out in my, in my Discman. I, I enjoyed it. Just because we've been doing this, we're, we're, we were planning on doing this podcast episode, we were talking about our top five, and you told me about that album, I went and listened to it. It's cool. Yeah, I think uh, from what I do pick up in some of the songs, it's got some really, really weird or powerful messages. And, and like we uh, we talked about earlier, these guys are crazy on stage and fire dildos, explosions, fireworks, you name it. So uh, let's see what happens when they come here. The second album, album number two, was uh, in large part the reason why I started playing music. Um, System of a Down, their self-titled album was probably one of the most listened to albums in my high school by by a lot of friends and I mean hell sugar was on the the cafeteria radio um spiders was on the cafeteria radio and that, that's, that's so cool that never happened in my high school really never no that's from 1998 those were some of the first songs I learned and a funny story uh when I had first bought my bass I uh didn't know what I was doing I went online, I got some tabs for a System of a Down song, and I realized that it was not in the tuning that my bass was in, and... <laughs> you busted straight. Went fucking straight, straight through. snapped it in half. <laughs> Album number three, Eminem, Slim Shady LP. I have listened to that album so many times that I've memorized it almost front to back. And that is the reason, along with some other artists, let's not leave out... You know, maybe guys like Wu-Tang Clan and stuff. But this is about Slim Shady LP. Yeah. Um, is the single reason why I am in such a maniac with, with rap at this point. Um, there, there's obviously a lot of influences there. But 
there's just something about Slim Shady that that really got to me at a, at another personal level. Look, I, I got into the album a lot later than you, but even for me personally, Eminem is just a lyrical genius. So I could totally understand you being like, you know, memorizing the songs and getting captivated by yeah. it. And I was going through such a transitional phase too in in my life, and especially in high school, that uh, it just fit. It fit the time. It fit who I was. It fit what I was supposed to like. My you friends you, liked it. You weren't the only one, man. I, I think that's why he was so successful. And then right after that, my fourth album, oh. 2001. The Chronic. Dr. Dre. You know it, man. That album makes me think of all the hours I spent playing games with my buddies. Oh, man, we listened to that non-stop and and some of these like i said a lot of these albums have been just kind of ones i put in and i would stick to them for the year man and and this is another one that i almost know front to back and you'll have to quiz me on that and my final album album number five 2002 queens of the stone age songs for the death oh man honestly like it, it not not when I was a teenager, but this album is in my top albums ever. I love it. I just didn't love it when I was in the early nineties, early to the, or uh, late nineties, early two thousands. For some reason, it's one of those bands, man. That uh, I love every album, and it sucks because I can't find a good copy of Queens of the Stone Age on vinyl without you know paying a crazy price for it online. Okay, but you love. I know you're, you're a huge fan, Queens fan, so you, you, you have all the, the albums, mm-hmm. right? Except for Songs for the Deaf on, on record, because it's so hard to find. But were Songs for the Deaf the one that started it all for you? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And I think since hearing Songs for the Deaf back then, I believe I've been to every Queens of the Stone Age show in Montreal. Yeah, including the one we went to together when they opened up for... Um, Nine, Inch Nails. Nine Inch Nails. That's correct. That's a story for another time. Exactly. So th- these guys were kind of the bridge out of hip-hop and metal for me. Just kind of opened up the floodgates for different types of music and yeah. for going out there and just kind of listening to whatever I fucking felt like, you know? And that was pretty much at the time when music was becoming more and more accessible for us. Napster. This, that's right. That. That's right. And then we... Wait, wait. Let's name a few of the old schoolers. Napster, Napster. LimeWire. Yeah. Kazaa. Morpheus. Morpheus. Off the top of my head, that's all I got from the old school... uh... You know what? I did find a copy of Queens of Stone Age. Little did I know uh, of Songs for Deaf. Unfortunately, it was a bootleg. So I paid like 95 bucks for it. Had it shipped over here. And it sounds like trash. But... It's bad, but it's not... At least you can throw it on the record player. You know what I mean? So I think that's a pretty fair uh, transition of my my musical history from '97 and onwards. Uh, they're all they're all great albums. But let's talk about something a little more recent right now. What have we had stuck on repeat? Oh, you're talking about doing our master track? Is that you're tr- you're sneaking in the master track? That's the right in there. Oh, but let's do it. Yes. Welcome to. The Master Track! Where Muck and Dre talk to you about a song they just can't seem to take off repeat. Welcome everybody to Don't Believe the Hype's Master Track. 
Now this week we're going to talk about a song from a band from Brooklyn, New York. Their name is Highly Suspect. Now, originally I really, really got into them on their first album. The Mr. Asylum album. Mr. Asylum. Now that I kind of ran into by fluke on uh, online and from that point it really stuck with me, picked up the vinyl and we've kind of been following them. Unfortunately they haven't been up here. The master track is actually from their latest album. It was one of the singles that they dropped called My Name is Human. Oh, what a good track, man. Yeah, that chorus really opens up so nicely. You know, every time I listen to the song, I get this this really heavy feeling like something is wrong or something is being torn apart. <laughs> That's horrible again, dude. Our master tracks, they, they evoke very dark feelings inside us, man. I wonder why that is, man. Anyways... That, like, this is the kind of feeling we want to play on repeat? We should be worried about ourselves. No, because the days where you're not kind of teetering on that edge, the song is just straight up amazing. So one more time, that's Highly Suspects, My Name is Human. Make sure you check it out and let us know if you like to throw that shit on repeat as well. Monk, we made it to the end again, dude. Man. This episode after episode. <laughs> Knocking them down, dude. So, a lot of what we do here, we hope to encourage participation. We want you guys to get in touch with us. Send us your top fives. We're going to put all those top fives into a playlist. Put that on Spotify so you guys can check that out. Tell them how they can reach us. You can find us on Facebook at the DBTH guys, or you can shoot us an email at the DBTH guys at gmail.com. Simple as that. If we get any interesting emails or anything noteworthy, we're gonna we're gonna talk about them. We're gonna we'll maybe even read them if they're funny or if it's a really interesting story. Just just contact us. Yeah, I mean we pretty much don't have a filter, so yeah, we'll just put that little explicit logo next to our yeah, or the whatever it is there, that red E. So remember, everybody, make, make some, some time, time for music. It's fucking important.